1: If you Google Romans 12, beyond the passage itself that will come up, you'll also find Pastor Chip Ingram's name. It comes up as one of the many page results, and ironically enough, I think not only the association with uh, Pastor Chip Ingram because of his life verse, but also his life work. You're familiar with, of course, his ministry. He is speaker on the nationally syndicated broadcast Living on the Edge, the author of more than a dozen best-selling books, and senior pastor at Venture Christian Church. And as always, Pastor Chip, great to have you on the program.
2: Craig, it's an honor. We go back, wow, 18, 19
1: years. Well, That's we were neat. both a lot younger, but still as good looking, I want absolutely, to say. <laughs> absolutely. Your wife is telling me you're looking great. That's it. <laughs> now, Chip, I've got to say something. It's not all that frequent that you can Google a Bible passage and find an association show up on the Internet that not only ties into one's life verse, but also one's life work. And that certainly is the case with you with Romans 12, isn't it?
2: Well, it's very interesting because I had no idea that that was true until I, I'm sitting here thinking, did he just make that up or is that true? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I really believe Romans 12 uh, is followed by 11 chapters of grace and clearly outlines um, in, in a way that you can measure what a what a genuine, authentic follower a disciple is of Jesus. And so I, I wrote a book on that, and you know, then we've created you know small group resources for it, and radio messages and then literally wow I mean thousands and thousands of churches have gone through you know that study and what I love about it it's you know it's not venture it's not you know any denomination it's not any high profile pastor it's just the Bible and uh So the Lord's really used it, and I had no idea. Uh, I'm honored that uh, I could be associated with Romans
1: 12. It's interesting because so much of that, and not just the entire book, but specifically that passage, focuses on relationships. And at the end of the day, God is really in the relationship business, isn't he? I mean, he, he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the entire world, for all of his creation, all of mankind, that through that sacrifice we might be forgiven, be reconciled, so that we could walk in fellowship in relationship with him.
2: Yeah, for those that might be, you know, either driving or listening or jogging or, you know, streaming Kfax and thinking, you know what? I, I wish I was a little bit more familiar with Romans 12 so I knew what they were talking about. I, I've taught this a lot and it has five relationships and basically says the follower of Jesus whose heart is, you know, not None of us are perfect, but is in line with God's heart. The five relationships are God, the world system, ourselves, believers, and unbelievers. And the the thumbnail sketch is that an authentic follower of Jesus is surrendered to God, verse 1, separate from the world's values, verse 2, has a sober self-assessment, verses 3 through 8. is serving in love. In the body of Christ, uh, verses nine through thirteen, and then fourteen to twenty-one talks about uh, we as believers uh, are overcoming evil with good supernaturally. So that that's a thumbnail sketch for those that are just feeling a little bit out of it.
1: And those Roman twelve principles on relationships that was very influential in your coming to Christ, wasn't it? I remember reading about you that you grew up kind of as a Midwestern kid in Columbus, Ohio. You were church, but not necessarily at a Bible-believing church. Was always find to be a little bit of a dichotomy, you're a church, but not a Bible-believing one. Tell us about that.
2: Well, I, um, I I went to a social, non-Bible-believing church that was characterized probably like a lot of people. You know, no one expected anyone to live. Uh, the The sermons were, you know, I can't remember many of them. Um, I think someone got up and read a little passage, but um, you know, basically, I got to be about 16 and thought, I think this is sort of. Uh, brainwashing to keep kids on the semi-straight and narrow until they get old enough to realize there's not an Easter bunny, there's not a Santa Claus, and no one takes God seriously. And so I just opted out and said, you know, I don't know if there's a God that, if he's like these people, and not that I was any better, but it was just like, man, this is this is lame. And so I just opted out, and, um, you know, I, someone probably made everything, I didn't give much thought, and it was, um, I was... Uh, a literally basketball junkie gym rat and I'm not very big and so I played I mean without exaggeration 8-9 hours a day and my dream was to have a you know get a basketball scholarship and by God's grace I did but the football coach I didn't play football but I have no idea why he said hey there's like 600 of some of the best athletes in Kentucky, West Virginia and Ohio that are going to be at this camp would you like to go and really get you ready for college and you know, my job was delayed a week, and I thought, shoot. And he says, "I'll pay your way." I thought, sounds better all the time, but he didn't mention too much what FCA stood for, <laughs> Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I'll never forget. And maybe some some people can really relate this. I remember going to this camp, and you know, they give you a T-shirt with a big cross on it. I'm going, uh-oh. And then they gave me a, a, a little Bible that I'd never never read the Bible, never opened it in my life. And fortunately, a little bit later, it was pretty easy to read. It was like the Good News Version. And then people were like saying Jesus' name out loud, and I i mean, it was like, oh my, I've been sort of dropped into the land of Jesus freaks, and the word, when Jesus came out of my mouth, it was uh, probably after getting my finger stoved or missing a shot, and I had other things that went along with his name. And it was like, oh, my gosh, what have I got myself into? Did it really
1: seem out of place, too? Because as you describe your early church experience, it sounded like what you did on Sunday for an hour or two yeah. had no bearing on the Monday through Saturday existence all. whatsoever.
2: It was sit, kneel, stand, sit, kneel, stand. Let's get this done quickly. And uh, and so, yeah, I was really out of place. And, and what, But what I do remember, I went, Tom Landry spoke, you know, he was a... Cowboys, um, Dallas Cowboys coach at the time, and there was, man, there were like three, four, five, I mean, professional athletes and a bunch of college athletes, and the sports part of it was awesome, and uh, I was not, I did not open that Bible the first two or three days, they were not going to brainwash me, and by about day number three, I just thought either these, how can 600 people be such good actors, because they seem like they really care, in fact, they seem like they love one another. And I'll never forget walking off the field. It was the wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons and the fullback for uh, University of Illinois. And I mean, I was drenched in sweat. I couldn't been 145 pounds, six foot one, forty-five, skinny little white kid. And I'm walking behind these two, and they're having this deep man-to-man conversation. I've never heard a man talk to another man at that level. And the one guy, in a, in a very appropriate way, had his arm on the shoulder of the younger fullback. And and as they walked off and I couldn't hear all the words and they didn't even notice me. But it was like it was like this now I look back, I didn't know what it was, but it was like the Spirit of God took that snapshot and entered into my heart and said, This this is what life's really about. And I remember the thought walking behind him as I don't know what they have, but I want that. I mean I was a overachieving student, an overachieving athlete. And no matter how hard I tried or what little awards I won, it was like, it's it's empty, so you go for the next one. And it was at that camp I trusted Christ as my Savior, and uh, I wasn't a very, you know, I started reading the Bible. I, I just ate it up, Craig, and, and uh, the big moment for me was two weeks later, no one said anything to me. I hid it under my pillow. I mean, I don't think my parents would have got mad, but it would have been like, you know, 'Cause he'd freaking out on it. So I hit it under my pillow, I'd read it in the morning and at night. And two weeks later I just thought, I don't cuss anymore And it was like where did it go? And I had I didn't know about renewing your mind. I had no idea what was going on. But just my desires kept changing from the inside out. So that's kinda of my story and while I was at that camp. Like, after three days, I mean, you know, there's 599 guys opening their Bible for 20 minutes before breakfast. As I look around, it was all outside in these rolling hills in Ohio. And, and the peer pressure got to me, so I thought, well, I'll open it. So I open it. I never opened the Bible in my life. And it says, I urge you, therefore, my dear friend, in view of all that God's done for you, that what God really wants is for you to offer yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice. Uh, This is what spiritual service is all about. And don't any longer be conformed to all the standards of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that how you actually live can demonstrate what God's will looks like. It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. And then it went on to say, And and by God's grace I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. And I mean, it's like a video recorder went on. And I just saw my life and I realized, I always had this question, if God exists, I wonder what he wants. And um, that verse of Romans 12, who would ever dream later, was my beginning of uh, a journey to say, wow, so he's not trying to get my money and he's not trying to get to a bunch of services and he's not trying me to look and act weird. God wants me. God loves me. And then when I got to the part don't be conformed it was like oh my gosh I'm the biggest phony I know <laughs> you know and so that's the journey with Romans 12 and um you know years later God has used that I think, to help a lot of other
1: people. Pastor Chip Ingram with us today on this edition of Lifeline. Of course, he's senior pastor at Venture Christian Church down in Los Gatos. You can get more information about the ministry, by the way, online at Venture.cc. That's Venture.cc. We'll take a brief time out. Come back to more of our visit with Pastor Chip Ingram as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to The Conversation. Special guest today, he is Pastor Chip Ingram, the author of uh, quite a number of best-selling books, speaker on the nationally syndicated broadcast Living on the Edge, and senior pastor at Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos. And Chip, just before the break, you were talking about your experience at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp and uh, observing those relationships, true relationships relationships, on the horizontal, and by the time you had an opportunity to first crack open the Bible and go to that Romans 12 passage, that must have not just been an eye-opener for you, but a mind-blower in realizing that your perception of Christianity was based on religion, religiosity, and all of a sudden now God is opening up this whole new world to you that it's not about religion, it's about relationship,
2: you really hit it. I, I mean, I, I remember hearing people say Jesus' name like he was a real person and like you could know him, and, and then you know a guy would teach every morning, but you know, just like a half hour, and he, he read a paragraph, and then he explained it, but like it made sense. And then people were talking about having a personal relationship with God. I had never heard that phrase before, and I had no idea that a spiritual life demands a spiritual birth. But on the last night of that camp, um, I remember hearing um, Jesus speak, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens the door, um, I'll come into him and live with him and he with me. And and uh, I mean, my prayer wasn't very theological, but whatever it means for you to come into my life, I want you to. And uh, I, This is new to me, but I, I actually trust that you died on the cross and you paid for my sin and rose from the dead and so I don't know all that it means to follow you, but with all my heart, as much as I know, I'm, I'm going to follow you. And that was uh, when I trusted Christ as my Savior and and then had a pretty rocky first couple years uh, in terms of learning to grow in Christ. I felt like I went three steps forward and two steps backward and and then met a, uh, a bricklayer that was trained by the navigators my first week at college and he took me under his wing and actually for the next three years was just a mentor and friend and you know taught me how to have a relationship with god it was really powerful
1: your your early passion the early draw was basketball as you've articulated um when did the call come about when did you start to feel that god was pulling you in a in a very different direction
2: well, I was, I really struggled with uh, what to major in. And every time I grew a little bit, you know, when I went to college, I was going to be a lawyer because, you know, I sort of, my mother said, you got the gift of the gab, kid. And, and I liked to argue and I did well in debating. And, and so I wanted to be a lawyer, have expensive suits, a pretty wife, three kids, an Irish setter, a luxury car, and a station wagon, live in the suburbs. And um, and I wanted to make a lot of money. And then, you know, so I get there and after the first year, I'm thinking, wow, that, that's not a very Christ like thing. Agenda. Not, not, nothing wrong with being a lawyer, but all my motives had nothing to do with God. And so, you know, um, my second year, I think, well, I should, I should do something important with my life. So I'll be uh, the cure for cancer. I've always been a little bit idealistic, so I changed my major to, to, uh, to, uh, to medicine and science. And so I did that for about a year and a half, and, you know, I'm cutting open frogs and doing all this stuff, and my sister's a nurse, and I'm realizing, man, I don't, I don't like this at all. And so as life went on, I kept growing spirits. I thought, well, you know, if I, you know, the cure from cancer, they'll, they'll, they'll die. And, um, and, you know, what about, what about their interior life? So I completely swung around and changed my major to education and psychology. So, so I had to take all, you know, I think I ended up with like 160 hours in undergraduate, took about 20, uh, 25 a semester. I mean, I, I mean, it was nutty. think 23 actually was the highest one because i kept changing majors and um and long story i think god was was preparing me and then afterwards i teamed up with that bricklayer i taught school i coached basketball did bible studies i never dreamed if there was a thousand jobs dream 1001 would be a pastor i just thought no way i'm not holy enough i'm not smart enough and besides most of the pastors i've met um you know, I could just never see myself doing that. And so during the summers, I, I got recruited to play on a Christian basketball team. And we, uh, it was sort of an international version of Athletes in Action, Greg. And so we played in two summers every single country in South America except Uruguay. I played every one of their national teams, selection teams, a, a game every day, shared Christ at halftime. And God gave me the opportunity to lead scores and scores of people to Christ. And then I saw all these needs around the world and i just had no idea the world was like that and i went to grad school because i was going to be i wanted to be a major college coach and so i was in grad school and we had a break and an australian team that was associated with the organization uh they they were great guys but they weren't that good in basketball back then so they needed a point guard and a big guy and the point guard uh, pulled a hamstring and they got a call and said, "Is there any way you could join this Australian team in the Orient and play throughout all the Orient for about six weeks?" And um, so I did in the middle of grad school, and again I saw the world. And um, so I, I was actually a school teacher and a coach, and we started a little Bible study off this campus, like we did in the in college days, and it went from three to like you know hundred, hundred fifty people, and everyone people starting to ask me to, "Will you come and?" teach at our, our youth group or at this camp. I'm going, to go, wait a second, I'm a school teacher. Why why, why would you be asking me? And, uh, you know, uh, little by little by little, I didn't have like a lightning bolt. Uh, all I've, I came to is like, man, I'm getting up early to spend time with God, and I drive 40 minutes, and then I have an early morning basketball practice, then I coach, then I have an afternoon basketball practice, then I go back on the college campus to lead this ministry, and... You know, like something dawned on me and the people around me, uh, seems like you really get excited about going up on the campus and ministering to your kids. Have you, you ever thought of doing this full time? And I thought, you gotta be kidding. I <laughs> mean, you know, and by the way, then the thought of, I'm gonna have to go back to school another three or four years. <laughs> you know I've already been to college and grad school and then it was just honestly it was like if you've ever been in a thick forest and been even maybe a little bit lost and you see a little ray of light and you move toward it and the more you move toward it it gets lighter 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 then you get the edge and there's a meadow and you're kind of out in the meadow and you get you kind of big deep relief you go oh wow that's what it was like for me it just i kept just doing the little things god showed me and pretty soon I was in this meadow and it was like, Okay, Chip, you this is what I want you to do. I want you to coach my team. And and you know, it wasn't even be a pastor, it was just I just want you to coach my team. And I thought, Well, okay. Well then you need to get prepared. So off the seminary I went with a wife and two kids and The
1: rest is history. And the irony is, in a real sense, that passion for coaching really has never left, rather. It's just shifted. You know, it strikes me. The word tells us that God will give us the desires of our heart. Of course, he also wants our heart to be focused and our desire to be focused on him. How interesting that that sort of came back full circle. The only difference is you're you're, you're coaching in a bigger game where the stakes are really real, aren't they?
2: they are and I think it's really interesting I had um, I have always a student of the game and I, I had an amazing college coach uh, who, who actually later came to Christ which was very you know I shared Christ my whole journey and I, I don't want to get off on this too much but it was so interesting it was probably 15 years after I graduated from college or maybe 20 and I got a phone call from a guy and he said hey Chip this is Tom Ackerman I said "Not, nah, yeah Coach Ackerman I said, Coach, what are you doing? He goes, Well, in the story, he uh, lost a grandson to leukemia and was really grappling with life. He said, I went to a Christian bookstore and I saw a book with your name on it. And he said, I shook my head. And he said, You know, he said, There can't be too many Chip Ingrams. So I picked it up and wondered. And I looked at the little picture and I thought, That's that guy that played for me all those years ago. And um, he uh, read that book and came to know the Lord, and we've since kind of had some great conversation and time, but um, I I really think uh, a coach is someone who knows that, you know, coaches don't win games. I've I've never coached a game where I made the winning shot, or even scored a point. And I think as a pastor, when you read Ephesians 4, you realize our job is to equip God's people to do the work of service. And so, uh, you know, the, the heroes in our church are not any of the staff. It's the key lay people that he's using at Google and Facebook and you know Microsoft and on the website and at stay at home moms, but uh, they, they have networks. They're the people that are changing the world, and so that coaching mentality has really helped me be more of an equipper rather than um, I think you know we as pastors we always have a temptation to unconsciously become the spotlight, and I think Scripture's clear as we're the shepherds to help the sheep uh, do the work. I mean, who can talk to a doctor, me or another doctor? Who can help a a woman who's been raped, me or a woman who's been raped? I mean, who can help an executive understand the pressures and demands and God's power, me or an executive? So, you know, our job is to help those people uh, just become all God wants them to be, and So it's pretty exciting. It's a pretty exciting
1: team to coach. Pastor Chip Ingram with us today, senior pastor at Venture Christian Church in Los Gatos. Information, by the way, on the web at Venture.cc. That's Venture.cc. Chip, of course, is also the speaker on the nationally syndicated broadcast, Living on the Edge, the author of more than, oh, a dozen or more best-selling books. We're talking a bit about, uh, well, not just his work, his ministry, his life verse, but most importantly, uh, this notion that God... At the end of the day is really about drawing us in compelling us into relationship we'll pause on that point come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues
0: and now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts
1: Welcome back to the program. Pastor Chip Ingram is with us today. Of course, you know him as Speaker of Living on the Edge and Senior Pastor at Venture Christian Church down in Los Gatos, where he's served as Senior Pastor there since 2007. And it's interesting, you know, we're, we're talking about your background in sports and coaching. And I think as any coach would say, at the Olympic level, or even a kid just playing, uh, you know, on the gridiron or playing basketball at, at high school, uh, you need to be committed and you need to be all in. If you're gonna know when you have to be all in is that also true in your experience in terms of our relationship with god does god want us all in in our relationship with him
2: you know craig if i would say the one singular thing and i have thousands and thousands of experiences and emails and letters uh, to um, kind of back up this isn't just anecdotal or preach speak um, when i've taught romans 12 verse 1 says, I urge you, therefore, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And the word offer there is a, is a point in time. And it's the same picture of like in the Old Testament when someone would bring a, a bull or a, or a goat. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Um, it is a picture of surrender. And it's, it's, it's a surrender that says all that I am and all that I have is yours? It's uh, forgive the gambling analogy, but it's the best picture if, if you've ever watched Texas Hold'em. Is someone takes the chips and pushes them all to the center and says, "I'm all in," and, and that's when the action really starts because you know they're going to start dealing some cards and it's either going to be really bad or really wonderful. And God is waiting. I, I think what I can tell you is I've met people who've been Christian five years, 25 years, 30 years. People that are stuck. They hear Romans 12.1 and realize on a certain day, at a certain time, I push all the chips. My future, my money, my hobbies, my work, my kids, my wife, my singleness, everything. It's all yours. I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever. I am completely surrendered. Now, it's scary. It's crazy scary, and it ought to be. But the, the reason you can do it is God is good. He's a son. He's a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. I think the great, great majority of Christians never experience the good will of God, the, bl- the full blessing of God, because you know if there's sort of uh, it's like kind of hardening of the spiritual arteries. The blood, the grace can't flow through. And what I can tell you is when people make that real commitment. I came to Christ in 1972, but it was um, 1974, two years later, at Penn State University, understanding the Lordship of Christ Mm. that I went all in. And I will tell you the power I experienced, what happened in my life. And I have just, again, thousands of emails of people who said, you know, I've been a Christian, I go to church, but I got a alcohol addiction, I got a sex addiction, you know, I've struggled with my anger, I've got this issue, this issue. Then I went all in. And by the way, warning, most always it's harder and sometimes worse before it gets better. Because God begins to work and test, and the enemy doesn't want to let you go. But those people who surrender, wow. They're the Christians who live like Christians. They're the Christians that have this joy that the Bible talks about. And, um, I mean, in Jesus' words... You know, he says, you cannot be... I mean, think of this. You cannot be my disciple, Luke chapter 9, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And what he was saying, you know, an instrument of death to your agenda, your way, your control. And then he tells him why. For what will it profit a man if you gain the whole world and yet profit it, but lose your soul? And um, so anyway, I think it's just critical that... Surrender, though I put it this way surrender is the channel. This is a positive way. Surrender is the channel through which God's biggest and best blessings flow. And if I have time, just one quick word picture. I have this picture of this like ocean or this huge lake, this beautiful lake in heaven, and there's this P V C pipe. I mean it's grace, it's blessing, it's encouragement, it's a great self identity, it's all the good that God wants to do. Lavish and this P V C pipe, it comes all the way down from heaven, it's invisible, but it's connected right in the back of my head. And God wants to pour this grace out and his blessing out and reveal Himself and do amazing things in me and through me. But I have this little switch where i can turn it on or off and and i think you know you're connected you're a believer but i think a lot of believers open that valve just a tiny tiny bit and usually when they really really the reason people experience god so much like when their kids in icu guess what they're surrendered oh god right but you know what you can open that romans twelve one moment and say god pour in that grace i'll do whatever and if god is really good it's the smartest wisest best decision that anyone ever makes and uh, we just confuse good with easy yeah it doesn't mean it's easy but um i just have to i think i've got to preach in
1: here forget <laughs> no that's good do, do, do you think that on that point of surrender that we don't surrender because we don't trust and we don't trust because we don't know him
2: absolutely uh, you hit it i, I you know what? I'm not going to repeat that. I can't say it better. That's exactly right.
1: We're going to let listeners percolate on that thought. Hey, let's, uh, let's switch gears for a moment. Um, every pastor knows this. You know this. We all know this. Um, we are working here in one of the most challenging mission fields anywhere on planet Earth. And ironically, a a cross-section of what the mission field looks like. Name a culture, a people group, a language, and you'll find it here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, uh, people that feel a call to be a missionary can certainly get their experience under belt here in the San Francisco Bay Area, because as they prepare for the mission field, they find that they are right here at home in the mission field. So helping pastors recharge their batteries, um, being able to preach from a, a full heart, uh, I think is critically important, isn't it? Because there are challenges that are faced here by preachers in the pulpit here that perhaps are not seen anywhere else, certainly in the United States.
2: Uh, you're, you're actually really, really right. We had about 60% of our pastors came from the Bay Area, about 40% from all over the country. And you know, we've all been to a lot of conferences, and so we, we, we did this one a little bit different where rather than just coming and hearing people talk, 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 talk. We really have built in some time. We've got some um, great breakout times. But, like, I, I get with a group of people and say, okay, how do you use preaching to make disciples? And it's a small enough group where, like, 30, 40 guys, we just really what are your biggest challenges? And then I, I ask all the guys when they come, I don't want you to come speak and then go back in some room somewhere. Okay, we're here. These people should, you know, they... You know, as one guy wrote, he goes, it was so refreshing to hear people that, you know, you guys have a pretty significant platform that have all the same normal struggles in me. You know, how do you maintain balance at home? When and how do you prepare? You know, I mean, I can get great information about preaching on the Internet. What I can't get is relationships and connections. And um, and we have people of all kind of ethnic backgrounds. I mean, it's just, um, in fact, you would be surprised. I think some of our services are probably at least half multicultural, whether Indian, Asian, Indonesian, um, Korean. Uh, we actually have to, are you ready for this adventure? We have to translate our 11 o'clock service in Mandarin and Korean simultaneously. Isn't that great?
1: <laughs> it is. It's
2: God. It's the hand of God.
1: Hey, Pastor, it's been a delight visiting with you. As always, we appreciate both your time, your your passion for uh, the Word, your love for God that just oozes out of you. And hey, if you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area, you're looking for a church home, we certainly invite you to uh, check out the ministry. It it is broad and deep and wide, as you will experience. You can begin that introduction by uh, checking out the website, venturechristian.cc, listen to a lot of Pastor Chip's uh, sermons and teachings, of course, part of the radio ministry as well, at Living on the Edge and some great resources there, especially if you want to dive deeper as we began the conversation today into what it means to be a Romans 12 Christian. Check it out again on the web at Venture.cc. Well, Pastor Chip Ingram, as always, a real privilege to get a chance to uh, spend some time and fellowship with you and look forward to doing it again soon.
2: Well, thank you, Craig. Thanks for being a uh, steady, stable light at KFAX Um, right here in the Bay Area. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And thanks for the honor of being
1: on. Thanks for the time. There's Pastor Chip Ingram. Again, details on Venture Church. You can get details at Venture.cc.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Interesting research that's out that I suspect if you look at the world around us here in the United States and read the headlines with any frequency, you'd probably see that, uh, yeah, this, this sort of rings true at least um, spiritually speaking. Um, we take an examination of what's going on within the evangelical church today, and um, George Barna, of course, who's done a wonderful job down through the years documenting trends within uh, the Christian world in general, and, and evangelicalism in specific down through the years. Um, more recently, a uh, one of his surveys coming out that demonstrates, and this ought to set all of us back on our heels that identify as evangelicals, that Less than five of us um, in a typical church are personally involved with evangelism. And a typical church, by the way, that identifies as evangelical in nature, (laughs) less than 2% of their budget is dedicated to, you guessed it, evangelism. So when you take the evangel out of evangelical or evangelism, what are you left with? What about the mandate to the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Maybe it's time for some re-examination as to whether or not we are engaged in the kind of reach that we ought to be. My uh, guest here in this segment of the program uh, probably grows weary of being introduced as the gentleman who's the president of the, the organization that runs the Christian radio station in Quito, Ecuador. But the irony, of course, is that um, given the 80 plus year incredible outreach that this ministry has had uh, through radio and other means, uh, that's probably not a bad thing to be referenced to. He is Wayne Petterson. He is president of Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, and he's got a new book of the same title, Reach Beyond. Come Courage and the cause of Christ. And Wayne, great to have you on the program.
3: Well, thanks, Greg. It's a privilege to be on with you on uh, this afternoon and uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in extraordinary ways around the world with the whole global shift from uh, the, the real evangelism and missions that has shifted to the global south. And the greatest growth of the church today is not in Europe and North America, but in places like South America, Asia, and Africa.
1: And it's amazing, too, and maybe a big wake up call for those of us here in, in the Christian West, whether we're talking about Europe or, or North America, that we kind of think that uh, we're sort of the standard bearer, the, the paradigm setter for um, uh, what evangelicalism or evangelism rather ought to look like. And, 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 and certainly, while you know, we've played a significant role down through the years, God has been doing some exciting things in some exciting ways that are maybe perhaps by, uh, well, by Western standards, a little bit out of the norm and yet very much within his norm. Well, it
3: was 100 years ago that 90 percent of uh, followers of Jesus lived in North America or Europe and those numbers have almost reversed in the last 100 years where now about seventy percent of believers live outside of the north america and europe uh... are in africa where the church is growing uh... fantastically in asia and latin america and now many of those countries are sending missionaries back to north america to some of the immigrants that have come into our country from these other countries And uh, the top mission-sending country in the world is Brazil. The second most uh, mission-sending country is Korea. So we're seeing kind of the reverse flow of missionary activity coming back to this country. And as our country becomes more and more secular and materialistic, we're seeing uh, God working in, in previously unreached places of
0: the world.
1: Let's talk about how that paradigm shift has taken place, and, and most notably perhaps what well, we as the church in America um, and and the West can learn from it. Uh, I mean, there's always kind of been a, a pattern to the way we have engaged in outreach and evangelism. I think, for example, of, of some of the history of HCJB and kind of taking the, the approach of going into all the world and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the case of this, using radio as a means to most effectively across those borders and accomplish all of that. And yet today, even as much as we've seen a changing face of what evangelical Christianity looks like around the globe, even the ministry of, um, well, now Reach Beyond, formerly HCJB, that's even changed a bit too, hasn't it?
3: Well, our strategy is much different, where uh, we uh, used to be very Ecuador-centric, Quito-centric, and we brought missionaries in from all over the world to go to Quito, and then use shortwave broadcasting to send the message to places like uh, Europe, Russia, Africa, Asia. Today the strategy is much more working with local partners, training indigenous people that know the language and know the culture. Most everything we do at Reach Beyond today is through a local partner. And because they're already there and they can live on $100 a month, which is the average salary, and because they already know the language and the culture, they don't have to go to language school. They don't have to take 10 years to learn the culture. And with the right equipment and the right training, uh, they can reach their peers with the gospel of Christ. Even as we speak, we have a team over in the most populous Muslim country in the world, in Indonesia, and they're training about 28 young media professionals on how to own and run and manage a radio station. And when we leave, those 28 new, newly trained leaders will be uh, reaching their countrymen, And they're seeing, those stations are seeing an average of three to five people a day come to Christ at each of their stations. And churches are being planted throughout Indonesia, and former Muslims are leading other Muslims to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, Imams are uh, becoming followers of Jesus and teaching about Jesus in the mosque. And it's an amazing thing that is happening as Christianity is spreading, rapidly into these former countries that were strongholds for other false religions.
1: Well, and as you indicate, Wayne, I mean, while the message is the same, it is timeless of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his um, substitutionary work on the cross on behalf of mankind that we might be reconciled unto the Father. Um, that, That has never changed. But the methodology uh, is changing. And I, and I would wonder what the likes of a Hudson Taylor, uh, who was so uh, responsible in the 1800s for bringing the gospel to China. Uh, would think of the indigenous church in China today that is largely all run by nationals i mean we know that there are certainly no uh no missionary schools there there are no seminaries there there are uh, at least of, of the ones that are above ground the legal ones the three self church movement is all controlled by the government and yet here you are with a nation that is largely devoid of much of the way that we do quote unquote church in the west it's one of the fastest growing churches on planet earth and it's all being done at the hands of nationals
3: isn't it interesting Craig how uh, I mean it's always been true the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and some of the fastest growing spread of Christianity in the world are, are in countries where there is persecution and uh, one outstanding example is Iran, where uh, 25 years ago they could identify only about 400 believers. And today, and largely through social media, using uh, Skype and texting and Facebook and other means, plus uh, broadcasting the gospel from outside of the country with medium wave, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians and Iran is uh, the fastest growing uh, Christian country in the world, percentage wise. And some of the stand countries where there's heavy persecution, the church is uh, multiplying in fantastic ways. So persecution doesn't seem to stop the growth of the church. In fact, it's just the opposite, where there is opposition in places. uh, We're working in a place like Nepal, which uh, six years ago was a Hindu-controlled government, and the Maoists came in and overthrew that government, established a democratic republic, and now we're able to go in and start radio stations and health clinics in a country that was formerly completely closed to the gospel. So these are amazing days we're living in today, and God has given us these amazing media tools, uh, not only radio, but satellite and internet and social media with which we can share Christ in some of the most uh, formally closed places of the world.
1: And of course, this all gives an underlying lesson, perhaps, um, a wake-up call of sorts to the church in the West um, for ourselves and the enormous amount of Missions work that we have to do, uh, not necessarily overseas, while well, that's certainly um, on the, the to-do list, um, more and more so right here at home. I'll never forget years ago uh, running into a group of um, Christians that um, were in China. And uh in the course of conversation, asked them what uh, they felt the Lord had called them to do. And uh, without exception, uh, each and every one of these um, young college-age individuals indicated that they felt God had called them to be missionaries to the United States. Uh, what an amazing turn of events where in the 1800s here, uh, um, uh, the likes of Hudson Taylor were traveling to China, bringing the gospel message, and now um, the very fruit of his labor, 100-and-something years later, now feels burdened to turn around and come to the United States to bring the gospel message here.
3: One of the things that uh, we strive to do at Reach Beyond, and that's kind of the, the whole underlying theory of the book, Reach Beyond Comfort, Courage, and the Cause of Christ, is to call the Church of Jesus Christ in North America to a stronger commitment to reach the unreached. Uh, I was involved, uh, as you may know, uh, Craig, in Christian radio for many, many years in this. Uh, country until uh, God called me to this work six years ago, and the verse God used was Romans fifteen twenty, where Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ is not known. So in our book, we have what we're calling our mission manifesto, and it's a call to action to ourselves and to the Church in this country. Uh, for example, we state, we refuse to stand idly by as people enter eternity without Christ when we can share the good news that transforms them through the media they use. We refuse to watch people for whom Christ died suffer in pain, and poverty, when we can help restore them in his name. And we say we refuse to fear the darkness that entraps people. When common sense is protect yourself and stay in your comfort zone, we put on the armor of God and storm the gates of hell for the sake of the unreached, if that's what's required.
1: Our conversation today with Wayne Peterson, we're talking about um, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the mandate here in the 21st century to go into all the world, and um, how in many respects, while the message clearly remains the same, the methodology is changing. What are some of the lessons that we can learn here at home in America? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues